Hey everyone, it's live for Meet Me for Coffee, an awesome uh, podcast on the books today as we have legendary musician Bill Champlin. Uh, you might recognize him from many, many things in his discography. Uh, Chicago um, is one of his bands that he's been part of. Uh, he used to be, well, he's still in the Sons of Champlin as well. And uh, he collaborated with Patti LaBelle. Uh, he sang backups on Smelton John Records. How's it going, Bill? Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. And uh, whereabouts are you? I'm in uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Kind of kind of windy and cold out. But I know when I say cold in Los Angeles, you guys up there go, yeah, right. <laughs> I have know? some I have some friends that they're taking pictures on a beach. So I I don't know how cold it is out where you are. <laughs> Here I have snow outside, and if you were here in person, I'd be able to take you outside, and we could do the interview out in the cold and have a coffee. So, um, yeah, all right. Tell me about it. The show. Hey, I've, you know, I, I got my coffee. I'm set to here. go. <laughs> How do you take your coffee, Bill? Just strong and black. I don't want to, you know. I mean, I'm 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 not in it for the taste so much as I am for the drug. <laughs> Wake me up, you know. That's the scene. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's, it's, there's nothing better than a, the taste of hot coffee in the morning. Yesterday, I have one of those like, um, coffee makers that it's kind of on the fritz. So I filled it up and I thought I was going to make 10 or 11 or 12 cups and it only made like seven. So the, the cup, the cups of coffee I was drinking were like bullets, right? Like I was just like (laughs) blasting the whole day. So, so you did your show and painted your house, right? No, <laughs> yeah, like I want to do a backflip if, if not have a heart attack and lay down. I'm not sure, but <laughs> yeah, right. People say there's not not enough coffee in the world. Um, I'll tell you this: there is if you don't hydrate yourself as well. Um, yeah. There's there's a thing as too much coffee, but uh, yeah. what we're here anyway. to talk about is uh, your newest uh, material uh, coming from the solo artist Bill Champlin. Uh, the amazing artist. Uh, there's, a, there's a single I listened to called "Reason to Believe." Um, right. Let's talk about that. Like, what's the song about? Um, how do you go from collaborating with other bands to being in bands to saying, "Hey, I just want to do a solo career, solo record." Well, I've done numerous solo records, usually for Japanese labels and uh, that kind of thing. And one of my one of my co-writers and players on a lot of these records was a guy named Bruce Geich. Bruce worked a lot with Richard Marks uh, in the early days. They both kind of grew up in the same scene in Chicago, moved out to L.A. around the same time. And uh, and then Bruce now lives in uh, in Nashville. But he, you know, I just happened to email back and forth. Hey, man, how you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm looking to do an album. He said, he said, oh, great. Let me send you something. So he sent up uh, just an MP3 of the track. You know, the, and the track was basically what you're hearing now, except that I, I put some Hammond organ on it just to change it up a little bit. But uh, the track was like both Tamar and I listened to the MP3. We got about, you know, less than one minute into it. She's going, where's the where's the uh, the little pads and the pencils? We got to get on this one. You know, this Tamar said, I'm on it. Let's go. So we wrote that thing within about an hour and a half or two hours. And, you know, I mean, there's always little rewrites and stuff like that. And by the time I got to where I was actually typing out the final draft so that I didn't have to read my rank hang- handwriting, you know, uh, I just realized that this thing's really kind of about gratitude. This this song just sometimes you write it. And you don't realize what you're writing about till you're done. It just sort of comes out of you, you know. And that one was it just seemed like a really cool thing. I had a 
couple of bad i had a really bad year about two three years ago i had cancer i lost a son i mean it was and all during that period of time uh tamra pretty much saved my ass kept me you know because i was doing all these treatments and chemo and all the rest of the craziness that goes along with it it's all behind me at this point it's rear view mirror right. Right. but uh what a year you know what i mean and it kind of kind of changed my whole changed my whole viewpoint it's the one thing i realized that the things you care about that list on your little list of things got really shorter and the things that things that i don't care about got really longer and it's kind of the way you know my just my whole headspace and viewpoint of the world and everything just really changed up a lot and uh and i you know i was writing actually i was, I was uh writing the song living for love and t- you know just which is kind of bluesy and just uh guitar basically guitar driven thing and Tamara came home from the, I think she was at the store. So she came home and I played it for her and she says, you got to do a solo album. It's been too long to get into it. So this was right around when the pandemic started. And I went, well, I got nothing else to do. And I do have a Pro Tools rig up in the guest house. Time to go to work. So, I mean, I started getting into it. And right around that time, this this track showed up from Bruce. For uh, And what I loved, one thing I loved about the track is it had uh, one of my old dear friends uh, and bass player, George Hawkins playing on it and and because and, bruce found it in his folder it was the track had been there for a couple of years wow. <clears throat> and it was cut before george passed away obviously so i was so happy to have a song with george on it you know on the record you know that's and, absolutely uh, incredible like and you- Vin, Vinny, and it turned i said who's playing drums on this is great this is Vinny Colaiuta. i said well no wonder it's great Vinny's one of the best drummers on the earth so it was just it was just a natural I and mean, we start it starts the album it's really great are, are a lot of musicians, especially now, I know in, in California, the pandemic is uh, pretty widespread and it's pretty really not that it's not super serious here in Canada, but like we don't have you guys have a million cases, I think, in California. Are, are a lot I, of, I, I wonder sometimes whether those numbers are, are, uh, uh, are they're just cooking the books a little bit. I, I don't think it's as altogether as bad as that. My son. Will is a really great musician. Also, he tested positive a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and then and he lives in the guest house where the studio is. So I wasn't using the studio for a while, and uh, and at some point of the game, I just kind of went, uh, you know, so how do you feel? He says, well, yeah, he had a he had a cough, a little bit of a cough, and a headache and a fever for one day. That was the end of it, and the rest yeah. of it, he felt he felt great through the whole period of time, and he just just a day before yesterday he tested negative. He's fine. Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I tested positive about you know a week and a half ago, and uh, the way the way I, I was really skeptical because I was fine, like I'm fine, right? Yeah. Uh, they they can't tell, so there's people called contact tracers up here. I don't know if you have have them there, but they call yeah, you. When they talk about them, I've, I've never seen them in action, but there you yeah. go. I, I thought they would be like guys like just like, like Dick Tracy going around with notepads and stuff like that, but. <laughs> And the little watch, probably with the with the Apple Watch. It's so Dick Tracy in the first place. All these detectives, but I, I realized the whole thing um, when they're when they're trying to contact trace things, they can't actually tell with that test. They can only tell if you've had it or you don't have it. They can't tell when you got it, how long have you had it for. So you could never right. trace that, right? And I guess well, we kind of we kind of figured out where where Will got it. We 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 just, we were so bored sitting here. California shut down completely. I mean, there's not a restaurant open. There's not a business open anywhere other than you know stores, hardware stores, 
Apparently they say strip clubs are open, but churches are closed. That's kind of a rare move. But uh, uh, the uh, the whole move is uh, we just we just got bored. We got crazy, so we drove from here to Houston, Texas. That's a hell of a long drive, just to spend Christmas with uh, Tamara's sister and her and her family. And uh, and then Will actually flew back, got on Southwest and flew back, and the guy behind him was coughing the whole time, even with even with masks on, and he's pretty sure that's probably where it came you know where it came from in the first place so and you're right they they can't tell you when you got it they just go you got it you know well i know i know uh an israeli company has just uh developed this mass and they've tested it's 99 percent uh it will stop the 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 germs from coronavirus so that's the next big thing that's coming out um yeah what you what you want to bet your your prime minister owns that yeah. <laughs> or your, oh your, your alderman or whatever the hell he yeah is. It's, uh, everything everything's kind of actually it's kind of funny because um a lot of these officials like the government officials and then the health officials they've been caught going on vacations to Florida yeah. well oh, they're yeah. telling us not to leave and we- day there was an official in one of the other provinces that said that the public health orders do not apply to government officials so they can go work out they can go travel but for us we got to stay here i i, I don't that's, understand does that. that does that kind of sound familiar to anybody at any level i you know uh, they used it used to be that no matter what happened in moscow uh these this one you know what what would be hov lanes for us now were just for government cars Wow. You know, I mean, you know, the, the the fastest so they can get to work and back and forth. I mean, while there's giant traffic jams, these guys are cruising around like all they want. The whole the whole almost the whole uh, legislature of California went to Maui uh, for a for a giant vacation and a, quote, meeting, unquote. They could have met in Sacramento where the where's it's the capital of California. But no, they had to go to Maui to do it. And of course, we paid for it. And and this is when everybody was shut down and no travel and no this and no that. And it's like, well, yeah, right. It's it's the elite. They they get to do what they want. And the rest of us get to, you know, get to have to deal with the rules that they leave behind them. So, I mean, I, I think it's in some ways it's not new. It's just a little more intense than it used to be. The, the yeah. virus just just took all that stuff and made it worse, you know. Are, are, are you are you going to get the vaccine, Bill? Or I think I'm gonna. Uh, it, it's just they're uh, they're talking about uh, people in my age group being able to get it in the next couple of days. Great. Uh, they're opening it up. I'm I'm going to give it a shot. See what happens. I get a I get a flu shot every year. It's just sort of standard procedure for me. And you know, I think everybody in a lot of ways should. I mean, at least it kind of covers because there's some of these flus are. That's that's another thing. There's supposed to be a bad flu this year. There's been a hundred cases of flu in the United States. 100 cases compared to all these these other ones. So I wonder how much of these these uh, uh, COVID-19s are actually the flu. It's possible. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of people walking around or, you know, actually isolating, whatever you want to call it, that think mm-hmm. they have, have it when they're actually just sick with a flu or some type of other yeah. cold. Yeah. But a lot of the, the molecular properties from uh, coronavirus is in almost every type of flu or cold that you you get over yeah, the course of your life you might may have had it but uh let's uh, let's put all that aside bill and yeah, let's, let's get back to music it's pretty easy to go left yeah, we're depressing people here and uh well but you know i was i was just going to say that the musicians all the musicians that i know that have workstations or studios in their house uh 
they're all all of them are making records. Everybody I know is making a record. There's going to be more records in 2021, you know, more albums in 2021 than there were babies nine months after the New York blackout. You know, it's just going to be uh, it's just going to be an amazing amount of music out here. And in some ways, it's really cool. I mean, I, I you know, there were I had gigs, I had live gigs to do, and I had some other things to do. Uh, I wouldn't have made this album in a lot of ways. I don't think I'd have made it had I not been had, not, had there not been a lockdown at some level. So I think this album's sort of my answer to the virus at some level. Because oh yeah, watch this. And the thing that that kind of gets me that I'm that I, in, in one way, it's, it's, you know, I hate to say that there's a there's a silver lining in this virus cloud, but I think in, in for music it is because everybody's doing new music. They're writing new songs. And a lot of people have been just playing old old songs. You know, a lot of a lot of listeners seem to want to hear something that they've already heard. You know, there thereby you have tribute bands all over the place and all that. It's all fine and dandy. It's great. I'm glad anybody's if anybody can get out and get work. And I'm not even talking about during COVID. I'm just talking about just generally anybody that can get out and get any kind of work playing anything. More power to them. You know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, the music, the music business has been kind of under a, under the gun for God, fifteen years or so. Oh, absolutely! It's very hard to make a, a run at it, especially for a new band or new musician, if you don't oh, have the, the backing behind you, right? I mean, like a lot yeah. of the record labels are the ones that control the radio industry, and and yeah. uh, it's so hard they, to get the promotion. Nothing right? changes there, you know. I mean, you know, because wow, Spotify stealing all the money. Said, well, no, your record company's stealing all the money. <laughs> so, well. And then, you know, there's there's a record company pointing the finger at Spotify and there's Spotify pointing the finger at the record company. And meanwhile, the musicians are looking to try to figure out how to pay the rent this month. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's, let's take you back to yeah. 1981 uh, when you joined Chicago following the death of Terry Keith. Uh, Kath, sorry. Terry Kath. It was, it was a couple of, year, couple of years afterwards. Now, Terry died uh, earlier. I, I think maybe he might have been 79. 78 or 79 and they, they they actually i got a call right afterwards from the same management uh they were managing me at the time and they said hey terry kath just passed away we we think you'd be really great for that gig and i went i'm i you know i play guitar and i got one good solo but i'm not that guy you know i can't i can't fit those shoes at all you need to get somebody who plays a lot more guitar I, i'm more of a keyboard player really more of a hammond organ player than anything else primarily so i kind of passed on the gig i kind of passed it on to a friend of mine and uh, but it ended up being donnie dacus got the gig and donnie was great but at that you know somehow there was something chemi chemically wrong with that didn't seem to work for them and then they all of a sudden they needed new guys and i i had written uh, i had written something with danny seraphin and actually, he before that, a guy called me and said, could you come do some backgrounds on a demo that I'm doing that Danny's producing? And I, and I was right in the middle of doing uh, Rittenhour's uh, Rit album. And I was really tired. I'd been, I'd been in the studio forever. And, uh, and uh, I said, man, I got kind of a cold. He says, well, you know, Pete said that. Said, Pete? Who's Pete? He said, Peter Cetera. I went, whoa, really? Is he, is he singing? I said, well, I, I'm going to get past the cold. So both of us, you know, the minute we sang together in the microphone, Danny Seraphin just went, and they, everybody in the booth went, whoa, how about that for a blend? That's working great. So that's kind of what led to me joining that, joining up with that band. How'd you learn how to sing? Like, who taught you? You know, I don't know. I just listened to the right people. I think when I was a kid, I was a, a giant Lou Rawls fan. You know, once once a, friend, a, real, a real close friend of mine, a bass player in a band I was in, uh, 
turned me on to R&B, basically. And I lived in uh, in Marin County, which is right across the bay from Oakland. And Oakland was, you know, there was a there was a AM radio station there that was great. KDIA it was absolutely great. It was just they were playing all sorts of R&B. And I just listened to it like crazy. You know, I'd come home from school and just put on the Lou Rawls album and just learn his phrasing. He had Lou had the best phrasing in the world. He was always on the back end of the crew. It's just it was so cool. And we became friends many years later. Uh, uh, just, you know, he was my teacher. I mean, I went to a I went to a to a singing teacher once and uh, and I was, you know, at about my third lesson. I said, hey, have you ever heard of uh, of uh, uh, Nina Simone? And she's I hate her. She's horrible. I said, what? I think she's absolutely great. She said, there's only one good black singer. And that's that's uh, Sammy Davis Jr. And I just went, you know, I think I'm in the wrong place. I'll see you later. So that was the last vocal coach. <laughs> that's the last vocal coaching I ever had. I went, wait a minute. You know, we're, we're talking about Ray Charles and, you know, Stevie Wonder and all these other badasses. And you're going, they're not any good. The only one that's good is Sammy Davis Jr. And Sammy was good, but not like that, you know. You know, Donny Hathaway. You know, I just listen to, and I still do. If I hear anybody that's really doing something great, I I really try to rip it off. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I hear if I hear a lick that I like, sax player one time told me he says, "If you like it, steal it. Just don't keep stealing from the same guy." Because we all know what those guys sound like. I, I'm a great singer in Houston. One time was he was Kenny Loggins for um, 15 years. That's all, that's all he did. Everything sounded like Kenny Loggins. One morning he woke up. He was Luther Vandross, and it, the guy had the chops to do it, but he never went anywhere. It was like people went, "Well, if I want if I want to see Kenny, I'll go see Kenny. If I want to see Luther, I'll go see Luther." You know what I mean? Kind of like that. So I mean, I, I never. It wasn't really formal, but I, I definitely started singing R and B. That was really. I mean, I, I remember where I was the first time I heard Otis Redding, and I went, oh, my God, what is that? <laughs> what is that, and where is that coming from? And, uh, you know, so, and there's still really good stuff out there. There's, you know, people say, hey, their music isn't any good these days. And I, don't, I don't believe that. I think there's great stuff. But my wife keeps her ear to the ground all the time as to what, what's coming up with new music, and as, as does my son, Will. Are, is there anyone that you, you've... Um wanted to collaborate with in the past it just never happened uh you know everybody i've i've you know collaborating is one thing singing backgrounds on somebody's record is another i did a lot of background vocals with a lot of people i mean i had one day where i did i did a session for Della reese in the morning and donnie and marie osmond in the afternoon it was all pretty cool music and i you know uh, at one point, uh, all of a sudden, I started getting calls from Donna Summer and Elton John and different people. I was getting on on more known records. I mean, I did a back, backgrounds for a guy named uh, Kevin Moore, and uh, the record did nothing. And you know, a few years later, it was Kev Mo. <laughs> I was going, "Wow, is that who that is?" You know, I was going, "Hey, where's Kevin?" And this the friend of mine said, "You don't get it, do you? Kevin Moore, Kev Mo. Oh, I got it. There you go." And uh, he's he's one of one of my favorite artists, really cool singer. What what about your collaboration with Patti LaBelle back in 1986 for the Miami Vice soundtrack? Well, Jay Graydon had had a song that that he wanted to do as a duet, and Jay called me. He said, "You want to sing this with Patti?" So he said, "You're gonna go be you're gonna go down first. So I went up one and worked on the song, kind of fixed up the lyrics a little bit. It was uh, the second verse wasn't should have. 
it was still kind of downish, and I kind of let, let's lead it up a little bit, you know, just just a little change up. It was Paul Gordon, Jay Gruska, and Joseph Williams wrote the song, and uh, it was called "The Last Unbroken Hearts." Beautiful piece, and Foster killed it on the piano. David, you know, Jay had David play the piano on it. Just insane. Uh, Rhodes part, just ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous how good it is. I still try to Tamara and I do the song sometimes. And to try to play it and sing it is really like walking and chewing gum. <laughs> it's like, oh, Foster, you know, played me into another corner again, you know. But uh, I did it. And then I met her about just just on, on an off chance. I met her about two and a half, three years later. I didn't wow. I didn't know her. Yeah, we, we did the duet without meeting each other. And, which was and, crazy. And, and when you guys met, like, what were the circumstances? Like, what brought you guys together? We were... I was with Chicago. We were checking into a hotel uh, and I saw that there was a tour bus just about to leave. And our road manager had worked for Patty at one time. So I checked in. I didn't know who was in the tour bus. So I checked into the hotel. I went up to my room and I got a call. It was the road manager was a guy named Marty Hom. Marty calls says, Hey, Hey Bill, there's somebody down here that'd love to meet you. It's uh, Patty LaBelle. I said, man, I'm going to, I'll be down in two seconds. So I went and hung out on her bus with her for a while. She was, in, she was, cooking Italian food. It's just one of the best Italian cooks I've ever, you know, of all the Italian restaurants I went to, Patty was nailing it. She's a sweetie pie, wonderful lady, just a, the nicest woman. And uh, I had a ball hanging with her. She was really cool. God, could she sing? There's one, there, there's one that's really just crazy. We did a Chicago show in, uh, I think, St. Lucia one time. George Duke. I went to high school with George Duke. He's an old, old dear friend of mine. His band was backing up Patti LaBelle and then Chaka Khan. And I was just going, here's two of the baddest ass singers on the earth, bar none. It was just, the guys were going, hey, when are those guys going to finish up so we can go play? And I'm going, man, they can stay on stage as long as they want. As far as I'm concerned, they were so great. It was, it was so cool to hear. You've got, you got so many great experiences have you thought about, I mean, do you have a book or like you got to put that all in writing, like a memoir or uh, something? You know, I've, yeah. But you know, everybody that gets past a certain age says, Hey, you should write a memoir, you know? And you know, I've seen a lot of rock and roll books and I mean, Steve Lukather just did one a little while back that people really, really thought was good. <clears throat> one reason why is Steve's so funny. He was really, really kind of cool. He got it in the book pretty well. And, uh, an amazingly great guitar player. He plays with Toto. He's actually Toto's band leader at that point. At this point, uh, amazing, amazing uh, play. But he wrote a book all about the sessions he did, and this guy did, <clears throat> I'd say, over a thousand records over you know the period of time. And he was on the Michael Jackson stuff. You know, uh, those all those guys in Toto managed to get around quite a bit around town and play on some really, really great records. You know. I mean, Page was kind of almost responsible in, in some ways for Boz Skaggs' Silk Degrees album, David Page. And then and then David, you know, and he was just a, a piano player on the sessions, you know. So he was on in there as a writer, but wasn't in there as a producer. That's one of the reasons why Toto started. He says, I'm, I'm kind of done handing this over to people. And uh, uh, boom, the rest is history. They just nailed it, you know. Awesome musicians. Um, you've, had, <laughs> you've won some Grammys. Uh, you've had such a successful yeah. career. Um, in closing, like, is there any more new music coming out uh, that we should know about? Well, the, my album living for love is, is going to be digitally released on, uh, in a couple of days. I think the 22nd is when Imagine Records is, is putting them out digitally. Now there's, uh, 
they they just wanted to do digital so i i made the cd put the cd together and i'm just we're just doing that on our merch just on our merch our shop on my on my billchamplin.com forward slash shop and uh if you want the cd which is actually a beautiful piece uh, just go there and uh, all of all the stuff's in place so you can get it get a mail order uh cd i've just sent a bunch out to canada in the last couple of days we just got the the CD like not more than about four days ago, so we've been stuffing we've been stuffing envelopes here. <laughs> are, are you pressing vinyl at all? We're not gonna at this point, but everyone asks about that. I I think you know we, we did two extra songs for the Japanese uh, thing. Sony Japan is going to release it in Japan, and they're doing sixteen songs. This record here is fourteen. And we're thinking a double album, we could get it all on a, on a, on a vinyl record. You wow. Know, it's back to the old days because the Sons, Sons of Champions' first album was double. It was a double record. One of the songs was one side of the record, a song called Freedom. I, I love that. The album is real. Yeah, I do too. It sounds great, doesn't it? If it, if, I mean, have you ever seen it when they're cutting the mother, when you're looking through the microscope? Keith Olsen turned me on to that. He says, man, you hit the bass too hard and it, and it makes for, little snicks in the record you know little skips in the record you got to be real careful with the bass and uh, uh and, you get, and there's just a whole other thing with compression when they're making when they're making vinyl and they know how, there's people that really know how to do it well but it's pretty crazy it's way different than than cds you know but when they started doing digital recording i mean all they wanted to do is make it sound more like tape so they're trying to do cds i think japan's got a new kind of you know what Blu-ray is to DVD. Japan's doing a a, a blue something CD release. It's going to be the Sonics will be a little bit better. You know, always looking to try to make it sound like it like the thing that we used to do. <laughs> Everybody wants to go back. You know, I I love vinyl. I love the sound. I like how smooth it is um, yeah. when you hear it through your speakers. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I know things. George, are pretty you're, you're uh, awesome. You. Uh, but this has been awesome. It's been a dream come true for me to talk to you and uh, to hopefully have you back on the show. I invite you back uh, maybe in a few months to yeah, absolutely. talk about your new record. Hey, and, uh, when, when we do a vinyl, <laughs> yeah. when, we, when we put out a vinyl, that'll be the time for that one is to get, to get, get into that. Because our record cover, our CD cover is so beautiful that it's it's this big. When it gets this big, it's going to be insane. You know, we, we had a... Uh, we saw a painting uh, by Vladimir Kush. He's a great uh, painter, and uh, we we actually licensed it licensed it for the record company or for the record label just because it was so great. It's a, a painting he had called Symphony Symphony for the Sun. It's a really beautiful cover. Awesome. But you'll you'll see they're going to use it in a lot of in a lot of the stuff. But Imagine Records is going to do the digital on the twenty second. They're going to release and then on and then. Uh, uh, once again, BillChamplin.com. Hop over there if you want a CD. We're, we're on it. So George, the, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. A, another excuse for a second cup. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, yeah. Is when your your record comes out on a digital on the digital platforms. Um, so that's the 22nd. I had to check out the day because I'm so lost for days. You know, it's the 20th today, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's yeah. a couple in a couple of days. Yeah, in a couple of days, literally a couple yeah. of days. Yeah. Uh, thank yeah. you so much, Bill. Take care. Great, George. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All, right. All the best. Be good. <laughs>